I am faithful because I wasn't here on Mother's Day, but I hear I am here on race day. So uh, th- this is the faithful group, you know. It's like you know, okay, it's Memorial Day. It's nice weather outside, and it's race day. It's like you're gonna have your your core people here, and so you can have a a little bit different discussion today. You can probably uh, talk a little bit more personable about some things, and obviously there's a lot to talk about this week. But let me pick up where we left off last week. We started in Colossians chapter 1 and made it all the way to verse 23. We did a little bit of background, so if you missed out, you may want to like catch up and hear what the, the background on that is. But the, the main focus of where we got to in the passage of Scripture was Paul's expressing the centrality of Jesus Christ. Like, he's the foundation. If you don't have Jesus as your foundation, then uh, probably a lot of this is not going to make sense. Uh, yeah, the, 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 whole, the whole thing right here is it's all about Jesus. And I think the one thing that I expressed last week is that we have one agenda in here, and that's Jesus. There's nothing else. If, if you can make Jesus the, the number one agenda then everything else formulates around it. All behavior, not all behavior, but your behavior is greatly impacted. But your opinions, your agendas, everything just kind of comes into play if Jesus is the foundation. Otherwise, otherwise you're blowing with the wind, which is you can take society as a whole and see that's kind of where we are. There's a left, there's a right, there's a right, there's a wrong, there's a... We deal with a lot. We'll get into it here this morning. But I'm going to pick up where we left off in verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Remember Paul's a prisoner in Rome. It's not the kind of prison you think. He's got an apartment that he's having to pay for, but he is like locked up with some guards that like handcuffed 24-7 to a dude. And... uh He's got people visiting him and everything. But when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, well, what are his sufferings? He's in his own apartment. He can't leave. It's kind of like quarantine. You know what that was like. So for three years, he's doing this. Uh, but it was for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't because he did anything evil. He literally got locked up because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's rejoicing in his sufferings because it's for a good reason. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, who's you? He's sending this to the church at Colossae, which is also being shared with the church at Laodicea. And he's saying, you're Gentiles. You're Gentiles, and I'm sending this message to you. It gets to come to you finally. It's always gone to the Jews now. It's coming to the Gentiles. And, and the fact that Paul got locked up because he said that, that the Gentiles were included. He literally got locked up because of the people that he's writing to. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm com- 
completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. What is Jesus' body? It's the church. It's you. You are Jesus' body. He's the head. We're the body. And Paul has done this in his ministry years. Uh, He's just witness to the church. He's focused on the church, everything about the church. The very body, the very body that he once condemned and destroyed as a Pharisee, now he's uplifting. He literally killed people for following Jesus and believing that Jesus was the Messiah. Now he's probably the biggest proclaimer of Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 25, it says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He said this word mystery. What is this word mystery that he's talking about? The mystery is this, is just as I explained, the Jews were the one that had the message at first. And now the Gentiles are getting the same message, and he's saying that the Jews and the Gentiles are one in Jesus. So what's the difference? The difference is the old covenant versus the new covenant. I didn't say the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I said the old covenant versus the new covenant. Because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are included in the New Testament, but really it was when Christ died, was buried, and rose again that he ushered in the New Covenant. And it allowed the Gentiles to receive the same message that the Jews were already included in. Look at Romans ten eleven through 13. It says this, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek, that would be the Gentiles, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. How in the world were the Jews going to become one with the Gentiles? It wasn't even possible. That Again, I use this reference in the past. That's like saying the Indianapolis Colt fans are going to be friends with the New England Patriot fans. It just doesn't make sense. But now, if they're in Jesus, we're all one. Verse 27, it says, God wanted to make known the the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, uh, I'll pause right here because... This is one of the biggest verses that we will teach in this place right here. Like You have to figure this verse out right here. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you say the hope of glory. What is the glory? Glory, in my translation, is in there about 248 times. 
But think about the glory of the Lord. When do we know the glory of the Lord? We know that when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments, the glory of the Lord was in the burning bush. And it showed on his face. His face was was bright with the glory of God. And then that same glory that was in the burning bush was the same glory that was in the the clouds and the and the, in when they were walking through the wilderness it led them it was the same glory that was in the the holy of holies the temple mount the temple it's the same glory and then all of a sudden that glory disappeared at the end of the old testament and then again it reappear, reappears in Luke chapter 2 you know Luke chapter 2 that's when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The glory of the Lord that was in the burning bush that led them through the wilderness, led them throughout the temple, and now all of a sudden resides in Jesus, the glory of the Lord. Jesus dies. He's buried again. He, ri- he rises from the dead. And then they send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That same glory that we just traced through the Old Testament, Paul's literally saying right here, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same glory, the same glory that was in the burning bush, the Holy of Holies, now resides in you. Now, you you sit here and think about that word glory for a second. God's God's glory lives above and beyond any type of description or definition. If I sat here and asked you, well, what is the glory of God? There is nothing that anybody can say in this room that can define the glory of God. You cannot accurately, fully describe in words the glory that the scriptures declare themselves. You can't do it. I look at Isaiah forty twelve. It says, "Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand?" <laughs> if I were to take a bottle of water and pour it in my hand, one, I couldn't get the whole bottle of water in my hand, and then it would be like leaking out. But Isaiah says, "Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand?" The waters. That's all the waters. That God has contained all the waters in his hand. (laughs) That's pretty big. That's pretty big. So when I sit there and think about the glory of God, could hold all the liquid in the universe, not spill a single drop. And then we, we chase after glory. You know, we as humans really want that that glory feeling. We we hunger for it. There's this craving for it. There's this hole there. And even if I could experience the most glorious situations, locations, if I could have the most glorious relationships, experiences, it, whatever whatever it is, it's it's not enough. It doesn't match God's glory kind of a big deal only god is going to be able to satisfy 
our hunger and give us peace and rest to our hearts. And it's because of his glory, not anything that the world can provide. Wednesday, I went to a breakfast that uh, Mayor Fadness, Mayor Fisher's, had, and he had all the dignitaries up there, and it's been planned for several weeks. Uh, it was offered to uh, people in the community to come and hear, since this is Mental Health Awareness Month, where the city is on mental health. Because this has been one of his agendas for several years now. He's trying to lead the way in the community for mental health. So you had all these people up there, and here's what was actually stated from the stage. It said, we don't have an answer to the root cause for mental health. We don't, we don't have an answer. I just wanted to jump up and say, I do. I do. I, I I literally that morning had the opportunity to have a conversation with the fire chief, the police chief, and the superintendent of schools individually and say, there's a whole aspect here that you are missing. You're absolutely missing because of this thing called the separation of the church and state. You can't talk about the spiritual side of things. But we as human beings are spiritual creatures. We are spiritual. There's an evil that has occurred in, in this world, and if you don't deal with it from a spiritual sense, you're never going to know the root cause of mental health. And one of them said to me, well, what about the biological side of it? I'm like, you're talking about uh, a person that has two adopted brothers. One of them is schizophrenic, and the other uh, died by suicide this last August. I have family members that uh, are medicated for depression and anxiety, and they've stated that here. So I understand the biological side of it. I get it. But if you miss the spiritual side of it, you're totally missing this thing. That how we were created. I, obviously, um, our country is going through an ordeal with uh, the Texas situation i mean th this breakfast was two days after that shooting in texas and yet we don't have any answers i i hate to say this but um there's only one answer and that's jesus and as long as there's separation of church and state you're not going to figure it out i i would love to have conversations with them aside from being evangelical, aside from uh, promoting the Bible, aside from telling them about Jesus, just to say, you're a spiritual being. And you have a nature. 
you have a nature that when you're born you're you're born sinful nobody nobody taught you how to sin you just did it that's a whole nother <laughs> it's a whole nother place but the the reality is that we can't solve we can't solve our own glory dysfunction can't no matter what the world provides no matter what you experience you, you can't provide it many've tried and have not succeeded on their own our only our only hope is that the glory of God will invade our lives and rescue us and if in this room you can't see and you can't experience the glory of God just obviously small aspects of it you'll probably depend upon yourself to have glorious experiences and that's just not going to cut it I I need a God who's going to rescue me from the culture and from the media and everything else I need a God that's going to rescue me from myself And this is the whole reason Jesus came to earth. Lived righteously on our behalf because we couldn't do it. We've proven we we couldn't keep the law, but he did. He died for our dysfunction, and then he rose conquering sin and death. And that, to me, is what this whole thing is about. In amazing grace, Jesus willingly came on a glory rescue mission. And because he did, there's actually hope for us. That's the glory of the Lord that resides in us. The mystery. The glory of God resides in you. Verse 28. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, wisdom being the right use of knowledge. Jim, I'm taking this off. Uh, The right use of knowledge so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Now the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Verse 29 says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. There there we go. That's the whole legalism side. It's like, I labor, I strive. How do you labor? How do you strive? Let's, one, let's back up and see where uh, Paul is. Uh, First of all, he's locked up in an apartment. He's not going anywhere. So how is he laboring? How is he striving for these people? Right? So get the whole legalism thing out that you've got with this these physical words. He's laboring and striving through prayer. My friend Mary Tao, who's Rob Bell's mother, can't be with us here in this ministry, but I know that every Sunday morning she's praying for me. Hey, Mary. I know she's listening. I know my sister Heidi's listening. She's praying. My dad. We got people in Vegas that listen to this. And all they can do is pray. It's the same thing Paul's saying. I, I labor, I stri- I strive, but watch this. It's in his strength. 
Not Paul's strength, but his strength. I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard to walk by the Spirit. You either walk by the Spirit or you walk by your selfish flesh. And it's hard to walk by the Spirit, right? I mean, we talk about it all the time. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? But I I literally labor and strive to walk by the Spirit. And how do you even do that? One, I have to trust what I know. Not how I feel. Not how I feel because sometimes my feelings will lie to me. But I have to trust what I know. Sometimes that that gut feeling isn't always true. It's not always true, that gut feeling. So I have to know that it's his strength in me that causes me to labor and to strive to walk by the Spirit. Again, in chapter 2 it says, For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling. He's What is he doing when he's struggling? He's praying. I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. When we talk about him praying, you you have to know this, that prayers not are trying to change God's mind. That's not what it's about. Like I think that when I grew up, I was literally taught, you know, ask for this and do this, and you'll get this, and da-da-da-da. I'm not trying to change God's mind. I'm trying to learn the mind of God and asking accordingly in my prayers. If I can know God... Uh, Seek after the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what I have to do. I know I'm not praying for my own personal selfish desires, but I'm praying for the Lord's desires in my life. And that's really what Paul's doing. He's sitting here saying, I know what the Lord's desire is. The Lord's desire is for these people to walk by the Spirit, not by their flesh. So I'm praying for you. It's it's the same response we give about praying for the families in Texas. It's hard to watch that. It's hard. What can I do for them? I probably struggle in praying for them. It's Memorial Day. And what do you what do you do for these families with war dead? Yeah, we're going to remember them. We're going to be thankful for what we have, that we can literally come here at Pinheads and talk about Jesus freely. But what can I do for them? I do the same thing Paul did. Labor and strive in prayer. We never forget. We just keep praying says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You see, the ultimate goal for Paul right here was to know the mystery of God, namely Christ in the fellowship of church. That's what he was expressing. The first verses there that we talked about last week, it was all about Jesus. 
And he says this. He goes, I, I want. Paul's like, he actually says, this is what I want. Paul's stating his purpose, and really the purpose of this letter, which is from his heart, it's his passion. He speaks of this intimate relationships and a unity which binds people together that walk in the Spirit. If there's anything that I could do with this community right here, is one, is keep us all in the same train of thought. Our identity. If you can walk in your identity, if you can walk by the Spirit, you're going to hear me say the same things every week right here. Because there's something about a community here that all believes the same thing and walks together. Not that we don't deal with the same situations. I realize there's different situations in the room. But with that, we are one body and we come together and it's all centrally focused on Jesus Christ. If you stay focused on the truth, rather than the issues you will have like this unforced unity. If we try to force the unity in this thing, it's just going to be messy. Because again, we're doing it in our own strength. Verse 3, it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom really implies the ability to defend what we understand. That's what it is. Knowledge knowledge suggests the ability to, to grasp the truth. But wisdom allows us to defend what we understand. And he uses these terms because he's literally knowing that there's a bunch of Gnostics, people that don't believe that are going to be reading and hearing this letter. So he's using the exact terms that they would use, which is wisdom and knowledge. The false teachers that he's trying to make people aware of are focused on wisdom while Paul is focused on Christ. Verse 4, it says, I'm saying this so no one will deceive you with arguments and sound that sound reasonable. (laughs) Theologically, he was concerned that the Colossians not be deceived by this fine-sounding arguments. They're taking uh, legalism and philosophy and Greek understanding, and they're mixing it with Jesus, and they're making it sound really, really good. Like, you could probably uh, go around here to a lot of churches on Sunday morning and they can make it sound really, really good. Make it sound really, really good. But let me tell you, if it's not based upon Jesus as the foundation and the centrality of our lives, then they're missing out. If it's based upon their own strength and them doing things on their own, in their own selfish ways, it's not going to get them very far. And sad to say, that's a lot of what the messages are. It really is. The church had to learn to see beyond this this fine-sounding language that the heretics were basically just pouring on them day in and day out. And Paul's like saying, no, you guys, go back. When I was there, when Timothy was there, when Epaphras was there, remember all the things that we said about Jesus. Jesus is it. And you have to be able to take what people are teaching and filter it. That's a big thing here, right? Is to filter what's truth. Because I am not going to be the only teacher that you hear. I I shouldn't be. 
you're going to hear other teachers. You're going to listen to podcasts. You're going to watch TV. You're going to do all these things, and you're going to have to be able to throw penalty flags. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not scripture. That's not scripture. That's scripture distorted. You even have to do that with me. Literally. You have to come, and you have to like listen, but then you have to go and go, is he telling me the truth? The only way that you're going to know is if you go back to the Word, and what we're saying is matches up with the Word. That's pretty much why we just teach the Word. Verse 5, it says, For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the true strength of your faith in Christ. Paul's is so taken up with this pastoral task that he's with them in spirit. He understands what's going on. This means much more than I'm thinking of you. He he literally understands the struggles that they're going through. Like, I can look in the room and I feel connected to most of you in here and probably know some of the struggles that you're going through. Paul is so united with them and he's committed to them and he commends them. He's talking about the strength and the steadfastness of this group that he's thankful for, that they're able to accomplish. That they present this solid front to the enemy. Like, I trust, I trust what you are hearing, that the Spirit is speaking to you, and that you are going from this place and you're being a light in this community. That you're speaking truth in the midst of the chaos and the hurt and the anxiety and the grief. It says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. I, we, we have these stupid curb trees in our neighborhood, and uh, they're the... Yeah, those or the Bradford pears. They're just like weed weed trees. Yeah, y'all everybody's in here is like, ugh. Well, our neighborhood has decided to get rid of them. So uh Danny came down and cut all of our court trees out, all the Bradford pears in our court. But then they came and they uh gr- they grinded the stump. They they literally just but the but the thing is that what you have to know about trees is whatever however big it is on top is how big it is on bottom. I mean that's a lot of roots. You you're looking at a tree that's like this, but it's also like this. And they planted the new tree, but when I think about this being rooted and built up in him. One, I'll say this, uh, we're told all along that we're to produce fruit. It's not me that produces the fruit, it's him that's producing the fruit in me. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Rusty. You get that? The fruit of the Spirit. But Paul's saying you have to be rooted in Jesus. You have to grow these roots or else your fruit is it ain't gonna work. He's he's literally saying, I'm thankful for a person that is is mature in their walk and in their faith. 
when an, a believer is abounding in thanksgiving, he's he's really making progress. I'll I'll hang out with that person all day long. Someone that's thankful. It says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. He's literally, don't let anybody take you captive like a pirate takes something. Don't let them do that. Paul's, his beware alerts right there, he's serious. He's like, you guys have to hear this. You have to see this. Paul saw this influx of heresy as a planned, organized attack against what he had been teaching. I've said this before when when Paul says, you know, what's the thorn in his side? What's the thorn in his side? A lot of people think that that's some kind of sin that he couldn't, like, shake loose from. I think the thorn in his side was, like, literally he's teaching these people how to be free in Christ and their identity in Christ, and these philosophers and heretical people are coming along and teaching something different and, and marking out what he's teaching. And he's literally having to come back and come back and come back and reteach and reteach and remind them over and over. He's speaking against the philosophy of the world. And it absolutely contradicts the gospel. But true Christian theology, listen to this, true Christian theology, I'll take this from the scripture, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. What does that mean? Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Is this a lie or is this truth? Is this based upon this right here or is it based upon philosophy? Or is it based upon someone's opinion? Is it based upon someone's idea? Because you know, you know, people will take this and they will formulate their own religion from this. They'll take out here, add here. And if it's not this, if it's not truth, it's not worth it. Verse 9, a couple more verses, we'll be done. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. That's apart from him is emptiness. If you if you don't have Christ, then you're empty. If you are in Christ, you're complete. You're full. You're finished. The very nature of God is the very fully being fully present in Christ. The fullness refers to this completeness of this divine nature that has has taken hold of you. I'll show you here in just a second. Verse 10. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Filled by him. You've been made complete. This is not positional. When I say positional, this isn't something that happens when you die and you get to heaven. It's like literally right now you are full and you're complete. I don't have to die to get it to attain something. Yeah, I'll get a different body when I die. I'll get rid of this body. But me as a person... My spirit and soul is perfect and redeemed. That's who I am. Verse 11, last verse. That's a big one. It says, You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands 
but putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Okay, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the outward sign of the covenant that was made with Abraham and was the seal of this membership of the covenant of the people of God. This was it. If you were a follower of God, you were a Jew, then you got circumcised. The spoilers were saying now to the people in Colossa and Laodicea that the converts must be circumcised. Gnostic legalism was like working its way into these churches and it was saying that you have to do all these to be the spiritual elite. If you want to be a good Christian, then you've got to do this. One of them is circumcision. Paul's saying, wait, wait, wait. When we're talking about circumcision, we're not talking about the physical sense that it was talking about in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. We're talking about the New Covenant. What about you, what about you that has been circumcised? There's something about you that has been circumcised. Oh, it goes back to the spiritual thing. If you can't understand the spiritual thing, then you can't understand this. The whole spiritual thing is I have been circumcised. I've put off the body of flesh. I said earlier, you know, this whole evil thing, you can't talk spiritual and not talk about evil. Where did evil come from? I was looking up, the, <laughs> I was looking up yesterday, uh, Kurt, in the barbershop, uh, when did the first laws come around? What was the first law? Anybody have any idea? What? Well, that I, I know where you went. You just went straight to Genesis chapter 2. But if you don't believe the Bible, uh, I think the first laws came around in 17 B.C., 1700 B.C. They were the, and they weren't written laws, they were oral laws that people just kind of like passed on. And then the Romans came up with laws. But if you want to go back to, if you want to go back to scripture, uh, you said don't eat of the fruit. I think that was more of a choice than it was a law. You have a choice to either follow God or follow yourself. But you go back to the, 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 the Ten Commandments. You had one choice in the garden, and you got the Ten Commandments, you got the 613 laws in Leviticus, you got the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you know, if he says go one mile, I say go two, you got that whole Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, so, so there's law there, that's all part of the Old Covenant, and the reason that's there is to say, uh, you guys can't do what's right, you can't do it. That you were born with a sinful nature. You were born evil. I said it. You're born evil. That came from Adam, the seed of Adam. Now wait, 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 wait. Paul says right here, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands. It wasn't a physical circumcision by putting off the body of flesh. Watch this. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the one who came to forgive all sins. You're a believer. 
And at that moment, you've been circumcised. It's a circumcision of the heart. He took out your old sinful heart. He took out your sinful nature, your sinful nature, and he replaced it with a new heart. And you're a new creation. What'd you do? <laughs> Nothing. You believed initial initial faith, initial faith, and then he gives you faith after that. The first thing I did was like, I need a savior. Help. And after that it was done. I didn't know that. I was eight years old when that happened. I didn't know that. I didn't know he took my old heart out, put a new heart in there. I've had to learn. I've had to like, it's like you said, I've strived, but I labored. I've, I pursue this. I walk by the spirit. I've tried to figure this thing out. So I look, listen, I no longer have a sinful nature. You no longer have a sinful nature because you are a new creation. If second Corinthians five seventeen is true, what does it say? It's the last verse on there, Jim. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone if anyone believes, just like I said right here, if anyone believes he's a new creation, well, what's new about you? <laughs> your heart. Your nature. You have a new nature. You don't have a desire to sin anymore, even though you still do. It's not your desire. Because you're a new creation. It says the old passed away. Well, what passed away? What passed away? Your sinful nature passed away. There's a, there's a part of your flesh that passed away. You're holy, you're righteous, you're new. And if you figure this thing out, it impacts the way that you live your life. And in see the new has come. I can look out here and I can see that the new has come. I see it. I see it. That's who you are. So it always comes down to this. It always comes down to this. Are you going to walk by the Spirit, your new creation, or are you going to go back to your old sinful flesh patterns and walk by your flesh? That's all he's saying to the church at Colossa. Know who you are. Know the truth. Know it. Know it. And then... I this this is the hardest part. I think you know it, but I think God's responsible for causing you to believe it. Yeah. I'm put that on you, God. You're gonna cause everybody in here to believe it. Not only do they know it, but they believe it and they trust it. I gotta have I gotta have that understanding to get through some of the junk that's in this room. Lord, I'm gonna trust you. Lord, I, I that's my prayer today is I'm gonna trust you uh with your people. Because there is so much going on in this world right now. That we, one, we can't even explain unless we see the big picture that you're uh, a part of this. That you love us. 
that you walk with us, that you care for us, that you provide for us. And I know that people have questions all the time about that. But I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust that we're new creations and that we're holy, righteous, and redeemed and that we can believe that and walk in that every day. So today, I give you thanks for that. Thanks for Paul's letter and just his encouragement to us as believers. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.